I know the title to this podcast, A New Gene to Cause Autism, sounds provocative. It's only in rare cases the mutation of a single gene has been associated with autism. And even in those cases, there are likely other mutations of other genes which may affect some symptoms. But these genes do exist. For example, mutations of the FRAX gene cause Fragile X, and about 50% of boys with the Fragile X mutation also have autism. Same with the disorder called Phelan-McDermott syndrome, which is a mutation of a gene for something called shank on chromosome 22. As sequencing efforts become more commonplace, there are likely to be more and more of these genes that contribute to the genetically determined autism. In most of these genetically determined autism, they are also syndromic, which means they have other issues like severe medical and cognitive issues like seizures and intellectual disability. And to be clear, some people with these mutations do not have autism. Some genes are seen in other disorders too, but people with these disorders have a high prevalence of autism. One gene that popped its head up again recently is a gene called SCN2A. And actually it's been known to be an autism risk gene for a while. It's been shown in several studies as a gene associated with autism and epilepsy, but it's only in the past year when whole genome and whole exome sequencing technologies have become more commonplace has the evidence really started to ramp up. For example, not only have mutations in the SCN2A gene been noted in studies in the US, this week a study came out that showed that mutations of this gene were found in 1% of individuals with autism in China. Yes, that's 1%, which doesn't sound like a lot. To the other 99%, that's not very much to worry about. But to the 1% with this mutation who suffer from seizures and debilitating medical issues, it is a lot. There have also been studies that show that mutations in areas very, very close to this gene and that can control activity of this gene also show mutations. These findings are only possible with incredibly high resolution assays to detect very small mutations all over the genome. They've been found in blood and the brains of people with autism. SCN2A is also a gene that's been associated with schizophrenia and intellectual disability without autism. So again, it isn't always specific to autism, but based on the epidemiological data and the data that has been found using studies either in a dish or in an animal, SCN2A is a gene that codes for proteins that sits on the edge of a neuron and lets in positive charge so that the neuron can get excited and ready to release a neurotransmitter. So you can see how it's related to seizures. The brain cells are turned on way too much. But in other cases, SCN2A may disrupt the way areas of the brain communicate with each other. If some areas are turned on way too much, that affects the wiring of the entire brain. Anyway, why study people who have a known cause of autism if most people have multiple unknown causes? Despite all the challenges, and that they may not reflect the other 99% of cases with autism, these families are very important to autism research. First, while there's some variability in symptom presentation, there isn't as much as there is across all the autisms. Second, they are important for understanding the function of genes. If we know that a gene is highly associated with autism and that gene regulates how cells divide and develop, then that mechanism should be studied for other autism risk genes as well. Also, you hear about reversing symptoms of disorders like Rett syndrome by targeting their gene. Well, if you can do that for Rett syndrome, can you do that for other genes and what about in combination? So it's possible that other forms of autism may be quote unquote reversed.
And what about pharmacological measures? For example, our baclofen, which was originally developed for the use in Fragile X, has been shown to have some efficacy in idiopathic autism. Some promising data, but not enough to convince the FDA. However, there are more drugs coming down the pipeline for these genetically determined autisms, which may be used for multiple genetic autisms. Finally, in animal models, you can look at a particular dosage of a gene mutation and then add on environmental factors. Some of these highly penetrant autism risk genes have been used in animal models where gene environment interactions have been studied. The reason I'm actually focusing on SCN2A this week is I recently had the honor of meeting the founders of an organization called Families SCN2A, which has been tirelessly providing support to families with an SCN2A mutation. In the case of this gene, they're mostly de novo, which means there's no family history of the disorder or this mutation. As I recently learned by a family who's part of this foundation, that may be the rule, but there are also exceptions. Also, not all of them have autism, but lots of them have seizures. But the story of how they all came together was touching to me, and I wanted to share it with you. Angie Aldridge, a co-founder of the foundation and an amazing SCN2A mom, talks about the foundation and how it started. At the end of 2014, the Families SCN2A Foundation was formed by three parents with the Facebook group totaling 40 families. The group quickly grew, and by 2015, when we joined, it was 80 families strong. As of November 2016, our group now has over 200 families who have a child with an SCN2A diagnosis. In October of 2015, we became a licensed 501c3 nonprofit group, of which I'm now a board member. Since this time, we have established a database with the Simons VIP Connect that houses our medical and genetic information available for researchers worldwide. We currently have data available for 37 individuals with the SCN2A gene mutation, and of these, 21 have provided biospecimens. This number continues to grow as we connect new families to Simons. We have collaborated with physicians at Lurie Children's Hospital in Chicago and researchers at Northwestern to launch the first official SCN2A study. Since this time, two other studies are now in progress with more on the horizon. And another group out of USC and San Francisco is about to publish the findings from their study. We held our first family and professional conference in July of 2016 in Chicago with 25 families present in one room with leading researchers in the field of SCN2A. And we're currently planning our next conference for July 2017 in Wilmington, Delaware. We have learned that the presentation of SCN2A gene mutations varies greatly from child to child. Many children suffer from severe forms of epilepsy, while others have autism diagnoses along with other cognitive delays. And yet still, some children have both ends of the spectrum as part of their clinical picture, along with motor dysfunction, cortical visual impairments, and other neurologic conditions. The onset of seizures in children with SCN2A varies widely, with some occurring in utero and at birth, and others happening at age two, three, or even much older. Then there's a small subset of children that includes my son who have never had a seizure. Many researchers are trying to understand which variants are gain of function and which are loss of function and the relation of the specific mutation location on the gene with regard to phenotype. We learn that there's incredible power in numbers. Researchers who attended the conference in 2016 learned that the Simons Foundation had the ability to provide organized data, and they also learned about the grant opportunities to fuel their research. Since the conference, researchers have begun approaching Simons to access our data for studies, and a grant to one of the groups will be awarded soon. 
And finally, we learn that there is hope in the field of precision medicine and believe that personalized treatments are coming as scientists are looking into not only mutation, but the specific locations and function of each variant. The bottom line is these parent advocacy organizations, like the autism advocacy organizations, have a relationship with scientists and vice versa. Scientists need them to provide funding and recruitment so that they can turn around and help the families and learn more about their conditions so better treatments can be developed. They rely on each other. It's actually a very, very touching thing to see and experience, and I'm thankful I could share the concept with you. You can read more about this foundation at www.mightyandthebean.com. It's a blog by Angie.